Do you love God-centered music? Do you find yourself singing praise to God privately and personally when you're alone? Do you enjoy singing with the people of God? Welcome to The Word Unleashed with Tom Pennington. Tom is pastor-teacher at Countryside Bible Church in Southlake, Texas. Hello, I'm Bill Wright. On today's program, Tom begins a brand new 10-part series titled The Holy Spirit's Influence. Throughout this series, we'll be exploring Ephesians chapter 5, verses 19 through 21, examining what it looks like when someone is under the influence of the Spirit. You'll learn how the Holy Spirit works in believers and the three primary results of His influence. And as you'll discover, the work of the Spirit has lasting and wonderful effects on your life. Now before we begin, here's Tom with some opening thoughts on this new series. Tom? Sadly today there is very little real discussion about the genuine work of the Holy Spirit. Unfortunately, the church seems to be divided on the one hand are those who seem to almost dismiss the work of the Spirit. On the other hand, are those who so overemphasize the miraculous gifts of the Spirit that for all intents and purposes, His normal activities are in some ways obscured. We want to look at who the Holy Spirit is. He is, of course, eternal God, a member of the Trinity, a person, just as the Father and the Son. And He is intimately involved in our lives, in our regeneration, in saving us, as well as in our ongoing sanctification. And that's really what we want to talk about in this series. We're going to explore what it is the Spirit does in our lives. Thanks, Tom. And friend, open your Bible now as we join our teacher here on The Word Unleashed. Not many people know it, but Mardi Gras began in the U.S. in 1703 in my hometown, Mobile, Alabama. Even when I was growing up, Mardi Gras had become a celebration that there wasn't much for Christians to be involved in. It was not a celebration that Christians could be comfortable really being a part of, even in those days. But my dad worked downtown Mobile on the square there in historic Mobile, and he decided one year, when I was about 10 years old, if I remember right, that I ought to see just a little of what Mardi Gras was about, and so I guess it was to inoculate me, I guess, for the future, but he took me down with him one day to their downtown Mobile during Mardi Gras, and many of the images from that day are still fixed permanently in my mind, but one in particular stands out. I think it was the first time I remember, anyway, seeing a grown man stone drunk. I remember this man vividly staggering back and forth across one of the main streets there in downtown, obviously out of his mind, and pausing from time to time to vomit again and again, and then eventually falling in a heap there on the street. It made quite an impression on my 10-year-old mind. I tell that story because once you have seen the dramatic effects of someone who is under the influence of alcohol, you always know what those effects are and you recognize them when you see them. I think that's a 
very poignant reason that the Apostle Paul, under the inspiration of the Spirit, uses being under the influence of alcohol as an illustration of what it means to be under the influence of the Spirit. Because the effects of being under the influence of the Spirit are equally clear in every life where he is present in power. And the Apostle Paul here in Ephesians 5 is going to tell us exactly what those primary effects of being under the influence of the Spirit are. You can see them, you can recognize them, and once you understand them, you'll always recognize them. Let's turn to Ephesians 5 together. Basically, there are two different kinds of filling in the New Testament, two different Greek word groups, both of which are translated filled with the Spirit or full of the Spirit. And one of them refers to special empowering. That is an unexpected, sovereign act of God's divine enablement, enabling a person to fulfill a specific task for a specific time. It can happen once, it can happen several times in a lifetime, but it's an event that occurs. God determines to whom he will do this and when sovereignly, and we're never told to seek that kind of event filling. Then there is the normal filling. That is, a person is described as being characterized by being full of the Spirit. That is, it is their condition. It is their normal state. They are, as a normal pattern of life, full of the Spirit. And to be full of anything means to be characterized by that thing. If I say you're full of anger, that means you are characterized by anger. So to be full of the Spirit means to be characterized by the presence of the Spirit. What does that look like? Well, in verse 18, Paul begins verse 18 with an illustration. Someone under the influence of alcohol. And he he puts it here in the middle of this paragraph to let us know that he's not talking about our being filled as if we were some cup and some people are a quarter filled and some people are half filled and some people are completely full. Instead, he means be filled with the Spirit in the sense of under the influence of the Spirit in the same way a person is under the influence of alcohol. Be under the influence of the Spirit. So who does the filling here? Well, the phrase with the Spirit means by the Spirit. It means that the Spirit is the agency. He is the one who accomplishes this. He is the one who fills us. We're not told what he fills us with in this passage. So what are we to do? If the Spirit's the one who does it, what are we to do? Well, notice the second half of verse 18 is a command. Best translated, permit or allow yourselves to be filled by the Spirit. We can encourage this or we can hinder it. So what actually is it the Spirit fills us with? Well, Ephesians 5 doesn't tell us. But the parallel text gives us the key. In Colossians, the passage that was written at exactly the same time as Ephesians, written from the same jail cell, delivered at the same time to the church in Colossae, gives us a clue. If you look and compare the passage in Ephesians with the passages in Colossians, you discover that they are identical except for how they begin. They all deal with the same issues except how they begin. Ephesians 5 says, be filled with the Spirit, Colossians 3.16 says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. 
Well, if they both issue in exactly the same results, that means they are equivalent. Those two concepts are the same thing. To be filled with the Spirit is the same as letting the Word of Christ richly dwell within you. Let me teach you a simple math equation about this whole issue. If you go to Acts and you look at those passages where the word group that describes a state or a condition occurs, full, a person like Stephen is full of the Spirit as a state or condition, that equals Ephesians 5, be filled by the Spirit, which equals Colossians 3.16, let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly. It's all the same thing. So being filled by the Spirit means that the Spirit fills us with the Word of God. His own word, the Spirit's word. He revealed the word, he inspired the word, he illumines our understanding to the word, and so it makes perfect sense that the Spirit would put the word central in his activity in our hearts and minds. Now, that brings us, verse 18, between verses 18 and 19, we we arrive at a turn in Paul's thinking because he leaves the command pursue biblical wisdom, which at its heart is being filled by the Spirit with the Word. Now you see how all that connects. How are you going to be biblically wise? How are you going to walk in biblical wisdom? Well, the Spirit is going to fill you with the Word so you can then walk in biblical wisdom. So there's the command, verses 15 to 18, and now he begins to show us the consequences, our results of walking in biblical wisdom under the influence of the Spirit. Here are the effects. Being filled with the Spirit, being filled by the Spirit, I should say, with the Word of God produces changes in our lives. You will see this morning that there are three primary consequences are results of being under the influence of the Spirit. Three primary, and that's the key word, results of being under the influence of the Spirit. Just as you can look at a person who's drunk, and there are primary characteristics that distinguish that person as being under the influence of alcohol, there are three primary characteristics that distinguish a person who is under the influence of the Spirit. They are in verses 19 to 21. Notice verse 18 again. There's the command, be filled with the Spirit or by the Spirit. Verse 19 speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody with your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks for all things in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ to God, even the Father, and be subject to one another in the fear of Christ. Now, the New American Standard translation that we use reflects the Greek pretty well here, as it it usually does. But notice the main verb of the sentence is in verse 18. Be filled with the Spirit. There's the main verb. Then note that in verses 19 to 21 that I just read, there are a series of five participles, five I-N-G words to make it simple for those of you who don't remember your grammar, okay? Five participles that modify that main verb. So you've got the main verb, be filled, and then you have these participles. Notice the first one in verse 19, speaking. And then again in verse 19, singing. The third one also in verse 19, making melody. In verse 20, giving thanks. And then you'll notice in verse 21, there's a marginal reference note in your New American Standard Bible. And it says that what is translated 
and be subject to one another is literally being subject. There's your fifth ing word, your fifth participle. That's in Greek as well as in English. Here, these five participles are explaining the primary results or consequences of being filled by the Spirit. And these consequences are always present when a person is allowing the Spirit to fill him with the Word. Just as a person who is under the influence of alcohol, people who are under the influence of alcohol exhibit very similar effects in differing degrees, of course, but similar effects in the same way a person under the influence of the Spirit will see these effects in his or her life. There are really three of them. There are five participles, but three of the participles sort of connect together in verse 19 around the issue of music. So there are really three primary consequences that we see here in these five participles. Let me give them to you. Number one, Where you are filled by the Spirit with the Word, number one, there will be a love for God-centered music. A love for God-centered music. Number two, that's in verse 19. Number two is in verse 20. There will be a pattern of thankfulness. A pattern of thankfulness. And the third one is in verse 21. There will be a heart of submission. Listen, folks, wherever a person is under the influence of the Spirit, those things will be there. This is like a spiritual diagnostic you can run on yourself. Wherever a person is under the influence of the Spirit and the Word of God, there will be a love for God-centered music, there will be a pattern of thankfulness in the life, and there will be a heart that willingly submits to God-constituted authority, the, the authorities God has put in your life. You can't consistently manifest those results from the heart without the Spirit. But where the Spirit's influence through the Word is truly present, these will be present. These participles represent both the inevitable results of being under the influence of the Spirit, and at the same time, they are commands, they are expectations of every Christian. So we should promote and encourage these results in ourselves as the power of the Spirit's influence in us grows. Just as The effects of being under the influence of alcohol grow with the amount you've imbibed. In the same way, the extent of the Spirit's influence increases in our lives, and we will manifest these results then to a greater extent. Look at verse 19 again. Remember now, this is a a participle modifying the main verb, be filled. Be filled by the Spirit speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody with your heart to the Lord. Now, I don't know about you, but the first question that comes to my mind when I read that verse is why? Why is it? Why would love for God-centered music, both individually and corporately, be the first result of being filled by the Spirit? Well, remember, The Spirit fills us with what? A rich knowledge of His Word. And the Word is filled with God and His person and His acts. Those are at the center of Scripture. And over and over again, the writers of Scripture call us to do what in response to God's person and acts? To sing. To express His praise in song. So when the Spirit fills us with the Word, or when as 
Colossians says the word dwells richly within us. Our souls break out into song. Songs of praise that celebrate our great God. And you can't help it. Martin Luther, the great reformer who really revolutionized the place of music in the life of the church, wrote this of music. I love this quote. Listen carefully. The riches of music are so excellent and so precious that words fail me whenever I attempt to discuss and describe them. In summa, the Latin word, in the full summary, next to the word of God, the noble art of music is the greatest treasure in the world. This precious gift has been given to man alone that he might thereby remind himself that God has created man for the express purpose of praising and extolling God. You know why you have music? It's for one primary reason, to remind you why you were created. And that was to issue forth in praise and worship of God. Did you know the Bible contains more than 600 references to music? So we won't exhaust them all, or I would exhaust you. But I think it's right that we at least get an overview. Let's fly across the top and see what priority God himself gives to music. Let's start at the beginning. Music existed before the universe existed. Maybe you've never thought of that. But there was music before man was ever created. It was the spontaneous reaction of those powerful, intelligent beings the Bible calls angels. It was their reaction to God and to his creation of the universe. It's recorded for us in Job. Turn back to Job, chapter 38. And if you wonder whether or not it's true, the words come from the mouth of God himself. He was there, he knows. And he says, here's what happened. This is when God begins to speak. Job's friends are done. God starts speaking to Job. And listen to what he says in Job 38, verse one. Then the Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind and said, who is this that darkens counsel by words without knowledge? Now there's a confrontation. Now gird up your loins like a man and I will ask you and you instruct me. You think you know so much about how your life ought to be run? Okay, let me ask you a few questions. Where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? Tell me if you have understanding. God now takes Job back to the creation, to the foundation of the universe itself and the earth. Verse five, who set its measurements, since you know? Or who stretched the line on it? On what were its bases sunk? Or who laid its cornerstone? God is using language here of an ancient building, and he's saying, listen, you know, you know how to build a building. You'd do all of this. I didn't do any of that. So how did I do it? Who laid its cornerstone? Now notice verse seven. At that time, at the creation of the universe, the, the, found, the forming of the earth, notice what God says happened. That's when the morning stars sang together and all the sons of God shouted for joy. He said, were you there when that happened? God says it's happened. Now, if, if I had time, I'd take you back to Job 1, show you that sons of God here is clearly a reference to angelic beings. God is saying, listen, Job, when I made all of this, the angels surrounded me and they sang, and where were you? The point is, 
music was a part of the expression of the angel's worship of God when God was still making the universe. He had made the angels sometime before that, and they can't help themselves, but when they see what God is doing, they burst out into song. It wasn't long before music left the angelic realm and invaded human history. Moses describes the beginning of human music back in the first book of the Bible. Turn back to Genesis chapter 4. Genesis 4 is a fascinating passage that describes two civilizations or two societies, the origin of human society, and there were two of them, one from the godly line of Seth at the very end of Genesis 5, the other from the ungodly line of Cain. But even in that wicked family of Cain who'd killed his brother, you see God's common grace because God begins to allow them to utilize certain gifts, the gifts of metalworking, and in verse 21, the gift of music. One of Cain's descendants was named Jubal, verse 21, and he was the father of all those who play the lyre and the pipe. Here is the human father of music. One of Cain's descendants was enabled to put music together, to make instruments, to express music as an expression of God's common grace to all of us. The reason we have music is because God allowed it to be discovered in this wicked, ungodly family of Cain. But soon, music becomes a part of the godly line as well. Although there's no direct mention in Genesis of music being sung to the praise of God, the events of Job occurred during the patriarchal period, during the time of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And Job tells us there was music going on. In fact, it comes from the mouth of a man named Elihu. Turn to Job, Job chapter 36 again, just a little bit ahead of where we were last time. Job 36, and look at verse 22. Elihu, the only one of Job's friends that God doesn't censure, he says this to Job. Verse 22, Job 36. Behold, God is exalted in his power. Who is a teacher like him? Who has appointed him his way? And who has said you've done wrong? Now watch verse 24. Remember that you should exalt God's work of which men have sung. So already during the time of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, people were using music as an expression of their praise back to God. When you come to the time of Moses, music begins to take an integral role in the life of God's people. You have that wonderful song of Moses in in Exodus 15 commemorating God's great deliverance at the Red Sea. By the way, I'm not going to turn to all these, but let me encourage you to read them. Magnificent songs about God inspired in the text of Scripture. Exodus 15, Deuteronomy 32 is the song of Moses. This was commanded by God. Moses was to teach the people this song, and he did before his death. Even during the most difficult period of the Old Testament, the period of the judges, when there was no central government, and as the text says, every man did that which was right in his own eyes, there was still music being created addressed to the praise of God. Deborah, the judge in Judges 5 and her song of praise. 1 Samuel 2, Hannah, being told that she would have a son named Samuel, writes a great song of praise. Then you come after the period of the judges to the richest time in Old Testament hymnody and songs of worship, and that's the period of the monarchy. 
the period of the kings of Israel, and especially David. In 1 Samuel 16, 18, we're told that while he was still a teenager, he was very skilled in music, both in playing the harp and, as we later learn, in writing songs as well. Many years later, when David actually became king, he appointed 4,000 of the tribe of Levi whose responsibility at the tabernacle and later at the temple would be to lead in music, to be involved in the music of the worship of God. David wrote 74 of the songs, or psalms as we call them, in the collection of Israel's songbook. And many of the psalms, whether they were written by God or not, call us... God's people to sing. That's Tom Pennington here on The Word Unleashed with part one of his series, The Holy Spirit's Influence. Tom will have part two for you on our next program, and we do hope you'll join us then. Well, it's our prayer that you'll be enriched by the expository teaching of God's Word here on The Word Unleashed. We'd love to hear your story and how God is enriching you in your walk with Christ through this ministry. Write to us, won't you? Our address is listeners at thewordunleashed.org. Again, that's listeners at thewordunleashed.org. Or you can call us at 1-877-577-WORD. And be sure to connect with us on social at The Word Unleashed. You know, The Word Unleashed is made possible because of the prayers and financial gifts of individuals like you. Please consider partnering with us. You can find out how to do that by visiting thewordunleashed.org. That's thewordunleashed.org. And now for Tom Pennington and the entire team, I'm Bill Wright. Thanks for listening to The Word Unleashed, exalting God's glory explaining God's truth.